0: Okay, mic check. One two. One two. One two. Uh, yeah. Let's get it.
1: Okay. So if y'all wanna get crazy, we can get crazy. Yeah, crazy, 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 can get crazy. Red. Red. What? Grape red. Red. Who drank my apple juice? I, 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 I like to get around, to my band. Sexual chocolate. Play. What? One game. One on one. For what? Your heart. It was like his dip just. To me. Baby, please. Please. Please, baby, please, baby, baby, baby,
0: please. Yo. You got the juice now, man. And that's the double truth. Rude, rude, rude. Hey everybody, welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passports to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne, I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And if you recall, at the beginning of this season, I mentioned that I was working on an extremely fun and exciting project with the Black Star Film Festival. I was a writer of sketches and segments and some filmmaker questions for Black Star Live, which was a dope, dope, dope late night show put on by the team at the Black Star Film Festival. And I'm so thrilled to welcome... Our guest for the day, the creator, the founder of the Black Star Film Festival, Miss Maori Holmes. Welcome to the show. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for having me. Hi,
0: Absolutely. So tell the audience a little bit about the creation of the Black Star Film Festival and what y'all are about.
1: Sure. So Black Star Film Festival is going to be 10 years old this year. Ah, um, yes. We have... Uh, started in 2012, in August of 2012. And we've been focusing on films by independent filmmakers. Uh, we started out focusing on filmmakers of the African diaspora, and then we've expanded to focus on black, brown and indigenous filmmakers. And still really in a heavy independent focus. We have a really strong socio-political lens and a really strong experimental one as well. Um, and we've expanded to not only do the festival, but as you mentioned, we do some year-round programming, including the variety show, Black Star Live. We have a catalog yes. called, I mean I'm sorry, a journal called Scene, which is a journal of film and visual culture. Um, we also produce a podcast called Mini Lumens that I host. Um, and we have exhibitions and we are doing a filmmaker lab upcoming, and also we'll be working on um, an institute for young filmmakers.
0: Amazing, oh, that's so dope. <laughs> Thank you. I'll never forget, I was working at Alice's Teacup and I had uh, this friend who was a busser, this white dude, he was like, have you heard about the Black Star Film Festival? And I think this <laughs> was around the time, this must've been the first year that y'all were around and he's the one that put me on. And then I heard about it again from Rashid and I was like, oh, this is incredible. This is so, so, so dope. And I should also mention to the audience, a film that y'all had either last year or the year before is doing really, really well in the virtual screenings test pattern, Mm -hmm. which I think that y'all should all check out. Very, very, very good film great film excited to see what she does in the future yeah, yeah.
1: shatara um we she world premiered at black star <gasps> oh, and that's amazing um is now in philadelphia which is where the film um the the festival is also based and i'm mostly based as well and so i'm really excited for her that film is, is really really special
0: so good so good so Everybody, greetings from Chicago, Illinois. This week's episode is called Adventures in Saviors and Snitches, and Mayori and I will be getting into the nitty gritty of Judas and the Black Messiah. Woo! But first, I have a guest. Y'all know what that means. That means we're gonna play a round of Who's Invited. Hmm. This is a tasty burger. So if it is your first time at Adventures in Black Cinema, Who's Invited is a game that I play with all of my guests on the show. And this is a game that is about the white gaze on black films when a white person is behind the camera when they are making a black film. And we don't play this game to give big ups to the white people who have done it right, which I consider to be the bare minimum. (laughs) We (laughs) do this so that we can examine close up and personal how white folks see us when they are making a film and therefore what we see reflected on screen reflecting back on our experience and how we see ourselves Mm -hmm. and the rules of this game are i will run down a list of black films directed by whites over the course of a minute and it'll be up to maori to decide if she thinks this film gets invited to the cookout or not and (laughs) This means, has the film been accepted into the hearts of Black folks? Do we really consider this film to be a Black film through and through? And if you do think a film gets invited to the cookout, your response must be, yes And if you don't think the film gets invited to the cookout, your response must be, by Felicia. The infamous line from Friday. (laughs) So... I'm going to put on my little timer here. All right, the color purple. Yes, sir. Why do fools fall in love?
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say yes, sir. I, I, I won't. I won't qualify it. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen it as an adult. I don't know how I feel now, but I, totally I, would, I would say yes, sir. I don't remember. A
0: revisit. Problem. Malcolm and Marie
1: Uh, Bye Felicia Concrete
0: Cowboy
1: I haven't seen it Mm, What
0: do you think though based on what you've heard
1: I think bye Felicia
0: Word. Purple Rain
1: I'm gonna have to say yes sir
0: Booty Call
1: Bye Felicia (laughs) (laughs) Is that a film? That is a film (laughs) That (laughs) is (laughs) a
0: film Dream Girls
1: Oh wow Dream Girls um, that wasn't directed by Blackmore?
0: It was not.
1: Was that Taylor Hackford or something?
0: mm I think um, Bill Condon.
1: Oh. Uh, uh sh- sure. Yes, sir.
0: <laughs> and last but not least, Hotel Rwanda.
1: Um, bye,
0: Felicia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I first saw that movie... You know, there was so much hype around it. There was a lot going on. Lots of buzz and talk around that film. And Sophie Okineko is great in it.
1: She's fantastic in anything she does. Anything. Literally
0: anything.
1: anything. Even stupid things. Exactly. Black. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Literally. And to think back on it, though, when I was watching the movie, I was like, this is just... So much black pain represented without a way to like move forward or mm-hmm. like address the issues. Mm-hmm. And yeah. My audio engineer, he was like, Yeah, I saw that movie is directed by a white person. I was like, Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting to see. Looking back, how many of those films that are about Black pain, you're just like, why are they going in so hard? Oh, yeah. There's a white. There's a white behind it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, I think Spielberg did well with Color Purple. Yes. And the one that I also think is really, really good is Nothing But a Man. Ooh, yeah. Those are the two that I Mm -hmm. hold on to because they, for me... They're so. I don't know. Particularly with nothing but a man, maybe because they were documentary filmmakers before they made that. But I felt like they had studied the community that they represented. Totally. You know, in an in an empath- in an empathetic way, and that they had rep. You know, those people felt real. They Absolutely, felt rounded out. They felt mm. whole. Um, and I think that often we don't, right? I think like the other the other things that we're mentioning. But you know, it's so hard because most of the films with anybody in them are <laughs> directed by white people. So it's yes, so hard to like exactly. have this conversation. Exactly. I, I th- everything you've named today, I'm like most of them I need to go back to and mm-hmm. watch with a different lens than, you know, like, I don't know about Color Purple. I only think about Prince. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, I don't even think about like, I, I it's actually, I think I tried to watch it recently and I was like, this film is bad.
0: Oh, Purple that Rain? It is not a
1: good film. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> it, it, it really is about... The music in Mm -hmm. Purple Rain, just the dope music and just Prince himself being dope.
1: But the story is misogynistic. It has, you know, so many issues with colorism. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we could just go on and on and on. And you wonder, is that Prince or is that the writer director? And I really haven't thought about it or studied it to have any real analysis.
0: Totally. Totally. That's a good point. I th- I would love to do that as an episode one day to kind of investigate that. Because mm-hmm. I think you do sometimes learn more and more about icons mm-hmm. as time goes on. And, you mm-hmm. know, still respect them as icons and also find out some more truth about them. When I was yeah. uh, doing the One Night Miami episode, I was like, I like that this is a movie about these icons that mm-hmm. were also imperfect people. Right. I mean, that film does not address a lot of things that Jim Brown did, but to also know that, like, he did great things, and right. he also did things that were not great. And right. as, you, as
1: every human being does. Every
0: human being, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of people <laughs> <laughs> with imperfections, let's mm-hmm. get into the nitty gritty of Judas and the Black Messiah.
1: are here for one reason one reason only to learn, to learn to learn to learn
0: so Judas and the Black Messiah was released earlier this year in 2021 directed by Shaka King and here's a little summary of the film if anyone in the audience has not seen it yet. This film is inspired by True Events, and it is about the legendary Black Panther chairman Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya, and a man named Bill O'Neill, who the FBI blackmailed into infiltrating the Panthers and becoming an informant for the FBI. Along the way, we see Bill get more heavily involved with the Panthers, which simultaneously causes him to regret what he's agreed to and causes the FBI to put even more pressure on him, leading to Fred Hampton's unjust and tragic assassination. This film also stars Dominique Fishback, Jesse Plemons, Ashton Sanders, Daryl Britt Gibson, Dominique Thorne, Algie Smith, Lil Rel Howery, which was a surprise to me, and <laughs> Martin Sheen in the most insane prosthetics that I think I've seen in a while. <laughs> Some fun facts about the film that I'm wondering if you know Mayori. First one being, though Daniel and Lakeith were 31 and 29 respectively when they were shooting this film and playing these roles, in actuality, Fred Hampton was 21 and Bill O'Neill was 17. Oh my gosh. Like, the fact that Bill O'Neill was 17 when this happened too, I mean, I definitely knew about Fred Hampton being 21. Yeah. But Bill O'Neill being 17 just feels like...
1: That changes everything. Changes
0: everything. He was
1: a child. A
0: child. Like, I can't imagine being in that situation at that age. I mean, being in a situation, period, but literally being a child and the FBI is calling me to do this stuff. It's like.
1: Yeah. I mean, you think about all of the people who are incarcerated for crimes they commit at 15, 16, 17, 18.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. the The, you do not have a fully formed amygdala. You Mm -hmm. have not, you know, you don't know what your actions are gonna do, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's like, you think about people who become parents at this age, people who hold guns, like, all of the like crazy life decisions that are possible because you're like almost grown. Yeah. you are not grown. You're not at all. And I mean, my grandfather would say, you're not grown until you die, but do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like you are not a fully formed adult. And so finding that out, I I knew Fred Hampton was 21. Mm -hmm. I did not know Bill O'Neill was 17. And finding that out um, in the process of, you know, reading about this particular production changed so much. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. He really did. Absolutely. How
1: could that baby have known what he was participating in? Exactly.
0: Like the bigger picture of that and specifically what the FBI was up to. Because I think they do a really good job of portraying in this film that he didn't really know exactly what was going to happen until Mm -hmm. the FBI agent was like, okay, so I'm going to need you to draw up a blueprint of where they are at this moment, and he's mm-hmm. like, So, what are you gonna do? Right? So, it's just like imagining that happening to a 17 year old, like the emotional stakes just like instantly heighten to the ceiling, yeah. And also, in terms of this casting, on a lighter note, there's a little get out reunion, which I, I love. Know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lakeith and Daniel share one of the most memorable scenes in Get Out at the yeah. party that the Armitages hold. Yes. And it's the first time you see that a flash can incite the black person coming back from the sunken place for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Lakeith gets to say, the title of the film, they get to say, get out, you gotta get out. <laughs> and also Lil Rel is in Get Out as well, even though him and Daniel do not share any scenes in Judas and the Black Messiah. And it's great that these three black actors in their young careers have been in two Best Picture nominees at this point. That's pretty pretty outstanding. Um, second fun fact, the poisoning scene in this film was shot 50 years to the day after the occurrence. Oh, wow. which is crazy. I saw an wow. interview with Daniel, and he was saying, you know, when they shot that scene, obviously there was so much emotion going into it and so much care and respect for everything that happened uh, that day and shooting that scene is just so intense. So, so, so intense. Yeah. Yeah. And last fun fact, this is the first time in Oscar history that an all-Black producing team has been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And this is the first time two Black actors are nominated in the same category for the same film.
1: Well, which I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand. Um, I- I've heard, like, on the Green Book, you know, that Mahershala Ali... Um, instead of going up for lead actor, chose to go up as supporting because he thought he had a better chance of winning. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand in this film how they're both not lead. <laughs> yeah. Like, how are you both going up for supporting actor when you're there is no film without both of you? I agree. I don't, I don't understand.
0: I agree. So apparently, and I talked about this on the Oscar episode. Apparently, the th- the running theory is that. Warner Brothers put LaKeith up for lead. People in the Academy loved this film so much. And those acting nominations are decided by the actors. Mm. So the running theory is that they thought LaKeith would not be nominated if they put him in the acting category, which they still could have. Those votes are kept secret. So he could have very much been on the bubble and... I think people nominated him in both categories, mm. but because the supporting actor category was not as strong as it has been in previous years. And I only say that because I don't think a lot of them watched Five Bloods or loved Ma Rainey's Black Bottom that much, cause it could have been filled with those people. Um, that's how Lakeith got in to that category. I agree with you. I think they're co-leads. But Lakeith
1: being supporting makes sense. I don't understand Daniel Kaluuya being supporting.
0: And I think that comes from the campaigning. Mm -hmm. Because that, I think, was set in stone from Jump. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why that was really decided either. Because I do, especially watching it the second time, I was like, they're really co-leads. Because Mm -hmm. there are several scenes where they're together. Mm-hmm. And then there are several scenes where they really do lead the film, especially those scenes where it's Fred and Deborah. Mm-hmm. And then when Fred goes to prison, it's a lot of Lakeith's And if they're scenes.
1: not the leads, who's the lead? The lead. Who's <laughs> the lead
0: then? <laughs> who's the lead? They are both playing yeah. the titular role. This film is right. called... Judas, Judas and the Black, and the black <laughs> right. right. That is both of them. And that can happen sometimes when there are co-leads. But at the same time, I think even people in the Academy at large recognize that these things are kind of bullshit. Like the mm-hmm. fact that Viola Davis was nominated for supporting for Fences and then mm-hmm. lead for Marini's Black Bottom, it mm-hmm. seems a little bit, you know... Yeah. So these things are kind of arbitrary, and leave it leave it to the actors <laughs> to fuck some shit up, you know. <laughs> uh, so my first experience watching this film was on HBO Max mm-hmm. in that month window that they had, which was the month of February, and I was watching this up in my bed after I got my first shot of Moderna. Mm-hmm. So I'm like having these side effects and shit, just being like. I don't feel well, but this film is very good. And at the same time, this is before the theaters reopened in New York and I was like, man, I wish I could see this in the theater. I mean, the cinematography is so good. The Mm -hmm. score I wanna hear coming through the speakers. And I want to be in an experience kind of watching this with a community as well. And, you know, being immersed in the experience of being in a movie theater, but I still really liked it. And I'm happy that when my theater that I work at reopened, that this is one of the films that we had and we had it up until last week. So we had it for quite a long time and to Mm -hmm. be able to walk in and have that theater experience for a bit and see and feel the audience's reaction during the film and then after the film was over was really, really next level. And it was really good to see a combination of people who lived during this time and probably knew a lot about this and to see younger folks who probably didn't know as much about it. Um, So what was your first experience seeing the film?
1: Yeah. So I've only seen it at home so Mm -hmm. far. I have not seen it in the theater, Um, but I watched it. um, I I think right like the right before the last week when HBO was going to pull it, I think it was like end of March. And Mm -hmm. so like that week I was like, yo, I got to make sure I watch this because I didn't want to have not seen it. Right. Like for the (laughs) work that I do, there's certain films. And I mean, I miss many, but I felt like I needed to make sure that I saw this one and I really miss theaters being open because my personal practice was to go to the movies at least once a week, you know, yeah. like Sundays I would be in a theater, no matter what city I was in, I would make sure I'd go to the movies. That's like
0: amazing. Church. That's amazing. And
1: because I'm in my house all the time, watching movies in my house is not appealing and I have like a lot of light. Mm-hmm. So I have to wait till it's dark. And I mean, <laughs> excuse, 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 you know, so, um, like for me, the house is for television. And I know this doesn't make any sense because it's all the same box, you know, but it's like the house is for TV and outside was for cinema. I feel you. Um, And so, yeah, I'm really in this year, this pandemic year, I've had to force myself to watch many things. Totally. Um, And I say that as someone running a virtual film festival, hoping (laughs) that you all will like, you know, watch things. Um, But uh, yeah, I saw it and loved it Mm -hmm. and i was surprised that i loved it because Mm. i was expecting to have you know just some concerns when you make a historical film um when you make particularly with costumes like they tend to be bad Mm -hmm. um i was concerned about the portrayal of someone as beloved and revered as fred hampton absolutely um there were so many things on my mind but um I have really enjoyed Shaka King's work so far. Mm-hmm. I have really enjoyed Ryan Coogler's work yes. as a producer and as a filmmaker. Yes. Um, and so I'm also not surprised that I liked it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know totally. what I mean? Like I was like concerned only because, you know, when things are hyped up, I'm often challenged, you know, because people are so excited about them. Absolutely. And then I go, what? You know. Absolutely. Um, But, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think since, like, when I get into it, I mean, for one, Daniel Kaluuya is just a phenomenal, phenomenal performer. Phenomenal. The voice and his, like, mannerisms and just all, he inhabits the spirit of this person.
0: Absolutely.
1: In a really incredible way. Absolutely. And I was really, and Dom Fishback? (laughs) Oh! Honey!
0: What?! She is incredible.
1: I mean, I thought Lakeith was good. I'm not always a fan of Lakeith. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's fantastic on Atlanta. Fantastic. And I think it's yeah. often, like, keeping him in that space. I think he's a... My hunch about him is he needs a really strong director. Yes. You a know, very strong guy. I don't guy. think he's a self-directed actor. Totally. Um, But he was good. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's Dom and Daniel. Right? I Those completely two. agree. Oh,
0: I completely agree. And yeah. I really do wish that Dominique had gotten an Oscar nomination. And I think it is difficult sometimes for the Academy to recognize a subtle performance. A performance that you watch that seems so effortless to the point Mm -hmm. where you're just like, oh my God, like she's just literally being this person. She has become this person. And Daniel's doing that too, but with a person that's more well-known, a person that you can really point to. You can point to their mannerisms and their physicality and stuff like that and his voice and everything. But she is incredible. I remember seeing her in an episode of The Americans Mm -hmm. and I was like, who is this young woman? She is so, <laughs> so beyond talented. So I'm so yeah. excited to see her continue to rise.
1: Yeah, same. I mean, I was, uh, to be honest, my mother's from Chicago, from the Chicago area. Mm. And I grew up with her talking about, you know, this moment is one that politicized her. I think mm. She was 13 when he was murdered. And wow. She talks about that being the moment because he was close to age. You know what I mean? And it was totally. like, this is real. This is this is different than, you know, these, these other characters. I mean, even if you think about King and Malcolm dying, they were both only 39. Yeah, you know what absolutely. I mean? Which is also young. Absolutely. But as a teenager, for somebody to be 21, like that is like close, right? And so she talks about, she talked about that a lot when I was growing up. And so I felt like that was like a close, I knew about him and I, I was always really um i wouldn't say traumatized but definitely incredibly um concerned by someone being murdered in their own bed absolutely you know what i mean like that felt like something that did not (laughs) seem american right like you know what i mean so like that shattering, once I learned about it, I could never unlearn that and I could never have a different relationship to this country, you know, and to government.
0: Absolutely. Um, so
1: yeah, so so Fred Hampton is someone that I thought about, so I feel like this film was something that I was holding on to. But I, I also want to, something that I don't think we talk about enough in Black spaces when we talk about films, mm. and that is skin color. Yes, yes, very and, important. Um. And I don't think we talk about, like, um, because it's not theater, right? Like, I think in theater, I have a lot more space for people not looking like their character. Totally. Because this is a live experience, you know, blah, 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 blah. But for me, and maybe this is limited thinking of my own, but I kind of want casting to work more tightly. I agree. Particularly high budget things where you imagine that you were able to see the best of the best, you know, yes. and, you know, I want siblings to look like siblings. Yes. <laughs> if, if they do, in fact, I want, you know, historical figures to look like those historical figures, Absolutely. but particularly, I think that, you know, we can talk about Virginia Wolf and Nicole Kidman using a prosthetic nose mm-hmm. or, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the prosthetics that Charlie Sheen, I mean, uh, Martin Sheen used or, you know, I, I don't, I feel like let's, let's move let's white move people right, to the right, side. Right. <laughs> but I think with black people in the United States, yes. we cannot dis, like, like, dis- uh, detach ourselves from skin color and what the, the power that it has. Absolutely. Right. And so Sidney Poitier playing Thurgood Marshall is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think about those kinds of examples. And so I was at first, I only bring all of that up that at first I was like, so many of the Panthers were light-skinned people. Yeah, this and that is true. has to do with some of their appeal. Mm-hmm. I know we don't want to talk about that. Yeah, but it's just real. That's it's just real. about a certain kind of, you know, quality that people had for them to be attractive at a certain time. Mm-hmm. And so I don't actually know exactly what color Fred Hampton was, right? And we can sort of get into that. But he was not a dark-skinned man, Mm-mm. you know. Mm-mm. And Daniel is very dark-skinned. Yes, <laughs> you know what I yes, mean? yes. Like, Even Lakeith playing Fred Hampton would be a different, I'd have a different feeling about it, right? Mm -hmm. Than Daniel. Absolutely. And so I was sort of like, uh, I was ready to be upset there because I was just like, that's not really fair. Like he's not representing him. And then he, you know, he blew me out the water because he had his like voice and all these things down. But that was just something that I, I wanted to say thinking about it in the beginning. Cause I was just like, huh. I was like kind of holding myself like, well, we'll see. (laughs)
0: <laughs> totally, totally we'll see how this does. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of these performances, before we get into the themes of the film, I also loved Dominique Thorne. I thought that she was fantastic. She's, the, she's playing the captain of the Black Panthers, the one who, oh, yes. Yeah. she's great. Yes. And oh. I just did Beale Street a few weeks ago on the podcast and I forgot that she plays one of Fonnie's sisters. Yeah. What a great contrast yeah. to play two people in the same period and they're so diametrically opposed. Yeah. And she's excellent in both. Yeah, So, so good. And I'm excited to see her rise as well. I mean, the women in this film are incredible. Because I also love the scene with Jake Winter's mother. Mm -hmm. I think that scene is so perfect. I think in terms of writing and in terms of the two actors just really being there with each other, really Mm -hmm. listening and riding the waves of that scene, the way that they're able to find... A moment of joy and laughter in that scene, right before she talks about her son's legacy, that feels real to me. Mm -hmm. Because having moments of tragedy when you're remembering a person, even at a funeral, you have something that just like makes you laugh and brings you joy, especially with us. Especially. Especially with us. Only you
1: gotta laugh to keep from crying. You have to. You have
0: to. Yeah. And something that I noticed this time around that I didn't notice the first time seeing it is that Dominique Fishback as Deborah Johnson is reading her poem about her expectations about being a mother. And you hear that voiceover in the scene where Jake is getting shot by the cops. And then the scene right after that is Fred talking to Jake's mother. And that is Brilliant screenwriting, that's brilliant filmmaking. There are so many little touches in this film that make such a big impact. So, 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 so good. Yeah, when I first saw this, I was, that was uh, my review on Letterboxd, which is a fun movie social network that you can (laughs) review movies on. I was like, Daniel and these sisters, Acting up a storm in this film. So good.
1: But also, I mean, I was really, really impressed with the costume design. Oh, yeah. It was also subtle, Mm -hmm. you know? Totally. And I think similar to what you said about subtle acting, I think with subtle costuming, you know, you don't notice it. Which is the point, right? That's the point. And I feel like we, we overlook that often. Yes. And... I thought the production design, like I just, it's a really, really well-crafted film. hmm
0: I agree, I agree. Yeah. I think especially with Black film, Black period film, costumes and hair and makeup, if we're talking about the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. we'll sometimes go unnoticed if they're done correctly. Mm-hmm. I was also talking about this with Beale Street. The hair and makeup, when Fanny's family comes into the house, yeah, it we know, we right. notice all right. these women are coming in with straight perm hair. Mm-hmm. And then Tish mm-hmm. and her sister have these beautiful natural froze. It makes yeah. a statement without them having to open their mouths Absolutely. and their costumes. They're wearing Sunday clothes. Right. right. <laughs> and Tish's family is wear as chillin'. They're right. wearing casual 70s wear. And, right. you know, it's a reason why we need more Black folks in those institutions because Absolutely. we would notice that. right? We would say something about it. We would bring it up. Yeah. Instead of it being every year, you know, these super period costumes, queens right. and all this shit. And, right. you know... We will hopefully see, well, this will come out after the Oscars, but at time of recording, the Oscars haven't happened yet. And hopefully we'll see our first black makeup and hairstyling winner for Ma Black Bottom. It's crazy. But that will be, Mm -hmm. she'll be the first. She'll be the first. Yeah. So let's get into these themes of saviors and snitches. So my first question for you, Mayori, is how much did you know about the events of this film before seeing the film?
1: Well, I mean, I didn't (laughs) know that Bill O'Neill was 17, so it makes me feel like I didn't know enough. Mm. But I knew about Fred Hampton's murder. Mm -hmm. I knew that he was, you know, in bed with his partner and, you know, his pregnant partner. I knew a little bit about the Chicago chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew a little bit about Hampton's organizing and the Rainbow Coalition. And, um, yeah, I mean, and I know that, you know... uh, his murder had been ordered by the FBI.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think, was the main thing I knew going in. Mm -hmm. Just knowing a lot about COINTELPRO and how that has pervaded over the years. Honestly, Mm -hmm. like even going into uh, hip-hop in the early 90s and Mm -hmm. kind of what they did to fuel East Coast, West Coast and just the things that they consistently do to keep black leaders down from jump, honestly. It's really crazy and and very upsetting and something that, the one small thing that I wish this film did not do is give Jesse Plemons' character, they give him a little humanity. And Mm. I kind of wish that they didn't do that because whether this man had that in real life or not, I don't really think is important. He did it, you know what I mean? And if he had any real humanity, he wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have carried out these orders. I disagree with you. You don't think so? I disagree
1: with you. His humanity is why he carried it out because he Mm. believed in his country that much. And he either believed or believed that he needed to follow someone who believed that this organization and this man was a danger. And so mm. it is actually his humanity that makes this happen. Now, I think what you're asking is that he also sees the humanity of Fred Hampton.
0: Yes, yes. But he, and he doesn't. And he doesn't, yes, absolutely. But it,
1: he is, his humanity is necessary. And I actually think, I like that we get to see his humanity because then it's not neat. I feel like so often in our works of fiction, you know, we're presented these neat narratives. There are no bad guys.
0: That's true. And nobody
1: wants to accept that. We are all bad guys.
0: That's true. And we're, we
1: can all maybe be good guys. That's But true. we're all culpable.
0: Yeah. Making it more complicated. Less than black and white. Shades of gray.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And nuanced and layered, just like fucking life. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can curse. No,
0: but. you can absolutely <laughs> curse all the time, <laughs> all the time. And I think that is a also a strength in casting someone like Jesse Plemons in that role, too, because... Though Jesse Plemons has played a lot of characters in the past that have fucked things up and done bad mm-hmm. things, he has such a kind face. Yeah. He has a very <laughs> kind, yeah. round face. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, the scene that I think about is when Martin Sheen is like, would you let your daughter date a, date a Negro, date a black man? And the look on his face is like... What? what, like why are we talking about this right now? My daughter is eight months old, but kind of right. knowing it really does show the pressures of this system that he's a part of. You're right. right, it does It does make it more complicated and it makes me think of, yeah, these people out here mm-hmm. in the world today yes. following orders. Right. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. And, yeah. you know, um, at time of recording, it's it's very tempting to say the week that we've had, but then mm. you think about the month that we've had, the mm. year that we've had, the decades and centuries that we've had. Right. Of all of this police violence that is happening and thinking about Fred Hampton being shot in his sleep, Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. Brianna Taylor. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we still have not seen any kind of justice. Yeah. And this Derek Chauvin trial, by the time this comes out, the verdict will have been read. But I mean, do you feel any kind of hope in that arena at all? No. I don't either.
1: No. I, I feel very... Um, I don't know if numb is the right word, but definitely complacent. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I hope that there is justice.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but what does justice, right,
0: justice mean? Right, right. You know,
1: it doesn't bring George Floyd back. Nope. Does it mean that other police departments will change? Right. Like I think what's really hard about the Derek Chauvin trial right now, more than anything, is that Adam Toledo, mm-hmm. you know, is shot during this trial Mm -hmm. uh dante wright Mm -hmm. is shot a few blocks away i mean like or a few miles away and so i'm just like if derek chauvin is found guilty what is the you know air quotes sort of remediation for that right and what what changes in our world because of it right? right are we going to abolish the police right are we going to you know have real consequences for these officers? Will they, will their guns be taken away? Do you know what I mean? Like, what is the real consequence?
0: Absolutely.
1: And I, and I just feel so, um, I feel very challenged by there actually being any change. And I, I I do hope there's change. I am not without hope, but you know, I am, I'm just so unsure.
0: Absolutely. And it's very, very, very sad to have this be, a recurring theme on the podcast. I think almost every, not every guest, but I remember when I was doing Love and Basketball uh, with a guest, that was the week that, I can't even remember his name. The um, attorney general in Kentucky. Oh. You know who I'm Uh, talking about.
1: The one when Rihanna said, uh, what's up, nigga?
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. Daniel Cameron is Daniel that Daniel
0: Cameron, yeah, <laughs> a lost one, a lost one. He's
1: bless his heart, though. Yeah, I, I just people have found many different methods to survive, mm-hmm. and that is the complicated truth.
0: Right? That is so complicated, so, yeah.
1: Bill O'Neill, yeah. Daniel Cameron, yeah. You know, if if you, I don't know the Bible, mm-hmm. but I imagine whatever Judas did. He did it to survive. Word, word,
0: word. And that brings me to my next question perfectly for you, is that what are your feelings on Bill O'Neill, his complicated role in these events and his responsibility for his actions?
1: I think that he was 17 fucking years old. Yeah,
0: crazy, crazy.
1: So for me, so Bill crazy. O'Neill is not responsible. The FBI is responsible. Agreed. What are we going to do about the FBI? What are what we going to do?
0: What are we going I agree.
1: <laughs> what kind of reparations should they be paying? You know what I mean? I what agree. should COINTELPRO be doing? Period. I agree. For all of the documented abuse and terror that they employed mm-hmm. for decades. Decades. We can now see it. I haven't watched the Billie Holiday movie because oh, I can't. Yeah. But I think about that woman. Mm-hmm. They basically murdered her. Yes,
0: absolutely. In a different, in a
1: different way. A different but tactic. But they are responsible. Absolutely. They right? are responsible. So like, yeah, I'm not concerned about Bill O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, I have to say the the low-key conspiracy theorist in me, when I saw that he killed himself, I was like, hmm. Right. I don't know.
0: Right. Right, because it was oh, literally yeah. right after Eyes in the Prize 2 aired. Yeah. Literally right after. And they've done, they've done crazier things, you know? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to have this film and the United States versus Billy Holiday out in the same year and to see so clearly the responsibility of just yeah. murdering our leaders in different um, avenues even. Billy yeah. Holiday was an activist in a different way in her own right. And how they got rid of her and how they tried to get a black man to also do that as well. Yes. It's, it is. Yeah, I'm
1: not concerned about Bill O'Neill. I mean, that's like people who are talking about, you know, when uh, Dante Wright having a warrant, you know, I or Adam that. I having hate a gun. That. What is leading them to these things?
0: I hate that. What are the
1: conditions in which people live in which they feel like they have to do certain things for survival? Let's talk about that. Right. Let's right. end that. Totally. These other things are symptomatic. They are structural.
0: Absolutely. I'm
1: I'm not, I mean, you know, I I feel badly for Bill Mm O'Neill. I, you know, am not interested necessarily in spending a lot of time uh, on talking about him. Totally. But I also am not interested in denigrating him. Totally. You know.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like that is a, another very good thing that this movie has done. I have not heard a lot of discourse kind of like, going after him either. I think the film Mm -hmm. very much presents it, kind of minus the fact that he was 17, in a way that's Mm -hmm. just like, look at what happened to these people. Yeah. You know? Like, this is the fact of the matter and the way that society has added up to these things happening to these people. And it's just very sad. Very, very sad all around. Yeah. And it makes me wonder from you as well, you know, if Fred were still alive, what do you think he would be doing today? And do you think there's anyone alive right now that carries on his legacy through community activism?
1: I don't want to be cynical. Yeah. But I think that they would have found a way to kill Fred Hampton, even if they didn't murder him.
0: That's my thought as well.
1: And I look at what happened to people who are still with us, and I won't name names, mm-hmm. but who have succumbed to addiction, yeah, and megalomania, yeah, and all kinds of other things, yeah, and I think about that that is a kind of death
0: mm-hmm. that
1: I believe the state is responsible for,
0: I agreed right, absolutely, and then there
1: are other people who were also you know face death too soon in other complicated ways absolutely and they're also responsible so I'm, I'm not sure now maybe he would be um have been able to survive in the ways that angela davis has yeah. right like being in the academy and finding you know a sort of career path to keep him um focused totally um that would be wonderful absolutely um but i just there's so many examples For whom, of of leaders, for that wasn't the case, you know. But it would be lovely if he were were still, you know, um, writing and inspiring us. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, I think Angela's has been out there telling the truth. Yep. (laughs) And I don't know that everybody's hearing it. Yes. So you know what I mean. I don't know that our lives would be any different, right? Agreed. Still around. Agreed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the cynical part of me just thinks that he was so. Um, impactful.
0: Very much so.
1: That they would have found some way, something would have got him eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's something as many things. Yeah, you know who knows what his predilections were. Right. You know, maybe he liked. You know, young girl. I mean, we don't know, right? I don't want to put anything on his name. Totally, but I just feel like. They find those things we don't know if martin or malcolm were still alive what we would be getting them on right.
0: right right so i just feel
1: like our our need for a messiah is is a problem yeah and that's a human problem that yes. is not black people that's not american that a human
0: problem that
1: is also something i feel like i grew up thinking about you know my family's not religious mm-hmm. and you know people would say you need to be like Jesus instead of looking for Jesus in somebody else, right? Mm. And I, I don't think we do that enough. Mm. We are often looking for these leaders outside of ourselves mm-hmm. rather than taking responsibility. Yes. Um, and yes. so that's that's the human condition, right? Yes. And that is also our field, right? Yeah. That is
0: drama. Literally. That is what gets yeah. us to this, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, looking for things externally that are within yourself and really needing to tap into that and, you know. yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: And so I say all of that to say for, you know, what Fred Hampton might be up to. I'm also, I'm, I, as a young person was, I feel like politicized very early. Mm -hmm. You know, Malcolm X came out when I was 13 or 12, I think. Yeah. Um, And that film, you know, I read the book, I watched the film, I got, and then Rodney King, it happened, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? There were so many things that happened in a short period of time that I felt that for me, that was my mother's Fred Hampton moment, right? And so I think about between 13 and 16, listening to, you know, hip hop and all of that happening at that same time in the early 90s. And I was very um, interested in social justice and political change. But I gotta say, it has never lost me knowing, I'm also super a student of history, Mm -hmm. right? And so knowing about Fred Hampton is a very different um, I think sets up for a different kind of anxiety yeah. than being Fred Hampton and not knowing that people were murdered before you. Yes. You know, yes. I think about the hope and possibility that young people had in the 60s and the 30s yes. and the 40s yes. and the 50s because there was, the, the archive was not accessible. Right. You know, we didn't know that right. the FBI and the CIA and all these things. And and I think for our generation, we knew about it if you were looking. hmm You had the development of this 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. you think about OJ. Yep. And just so many other things, I think, have grown up to distract us. And now, I think for people even younger than myself, when I think about social media and the narcissism that it is producing, I am not sure that there can be another... Leader in the ways that we have learned about them in the past, because one, your record has to be so exceptionally flawless. Yeah, because as soon as someone, you know, cancel culture culture will pull it up, right? They'll like I you. think about what's happening with beloved Patrice Colors right now, who I think is a brilliant, brilliant organizer. Mm. And I think about what is happening for her, right? Like that is this may have been true for everybody, right. right. Right, like, right. and it's it's fine for people. I, there was an article in Une Reader like 20 years ago and it was talking about activists, activism, like the left being afraid of lucre. Mm. That was my first time hearing that word, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I think it is so um, hypocritical for um, left wing activist, activist spaces, which are funded by people with means to then knock people who are able to amass them in different ways. Yes. Speaking fees, you know, writing fees, whatever it is. And so, and particularly for us, who we are structurally behind.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All, most of
1: these people being activists, they somebody's funding that.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it's rich people. Mm-hmm. So like the idea that you can't also yourself become rich or not even rich, become comfortable. Right. And take care of your family and take care of yourself. And, you know, so anyway, um, there, there are, I don't know that there is another leader right now that makes me think of that. I do, what I really appreciate about the Black Lives Matter founders, um, particularly in Alicia and Patrice, mm-hmm. who I just know more about, is that they're making it about the collective. Yes. That they're making sure that it is, you know, they're decentralizing it on purpose. Yeah, right, totally. So I think there's something really interesting in that perspective. Yes. Um they are deeply informed about history and so always bringing that history forward. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think there's less sort of one person, but Mm -hmm. I think that movement in particular I think is really strong and I, I hope that, what I also love about it is that it's intersectional.
0: Yes, absolutely. That they're not
1: leaving our queer people behind. Yes. They're not leaving our trans people behind. Yes. Our differently abled folks. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, let's think about all of this. Absolutely. Undocumented folks. Absolutely. To talk about all of this.
0: For sure. And yeah. that's interesting that you mentioned the collective because I do think that that's also a possibility if Fred were still alive, that he would push us that way as someone who was so much about community and about the people Mm -hmm. and really training everybody to do this together. And I think that is kind of like the next wave and the next move in a way too, because we are kind of all over the place in terms of just Being human beings right now in Mm -hmm. this age of social media, in this age of kind of go, 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 Mm -hmm. it is kind of hard for one person or two people to take on everything because that's just not how we really live anymore.
1: We didn't live that way back then. I mean, the idea that Fred Hampton. Is a singular being or malcolm that's not true yeah right like martin was a figurehead Mm -hmm. to bayard rustin's genius but also rosa parks was an organizer do you know what i mean like there were so many people andrew young Mm -hmm. you know we could go on and on and on there were hundreds of people that were working alongside him absolutely no one is a messiah
0: no one
1: There are no messiahs. No
0: one. And, you know, that's interesting in that I always tell people I hate the way that history is taught for several reasons. But that is a reason why I don't like the way history is taught, because it is taught. You know, one big reason I don't like is because they don't teach it within the proper context. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also because they do put people up on a messiah pedestal and they don't mention the collective. You're very, very right about that. But
1: they don't because it is, you know, if you think about, like, if you want to be smart politically, Mm -hmm. you choose the figurehead because I think it is human nature to follow.
0: Yes. That person. Absolutely.
1: And so it is a smart thing to put, king because he speaks well he's attractive he's got the you know Mm -hmm. you're gonna put him up front he's gonna lead the people Mm -hmm. but we need to be really aware that he is a figurehead
0: yes that they're just
1: like a president is not a solo actor
0: exactly which people people are just learning (laughs) right yeah
1: right so you know it's like both and Mm -hmm. and um i think these young folks are really clear about that and so for me You know, I think that is the closest to me. It is like these folks leading Black Lives Matter that are that. But then there's also, you know, it's hard because these people are my friends. But, you know, Tarana Burke and what is happening with Me Too International. Mm -hmm. And I think about what's happening um, with a lot of food justice movements. You know what I mean? I think there's people in different spaces.
0: Absolutely. Um, And so it is,
1: we're dealing with a very different landscape, right? Like, I think in the 60s, it was so clear that it, we were talking about race and we were talking about being anti-war mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and capitalism, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like now it's like everything. everything. So there's so much space for people to be talking about domestic workers' rights and undocumented yes. folk, you know what I mean? Yes. Like there's Absolutely. many, many things to be concerned with. So I think, there, I think there are folks out there. There have to be, There this have how to be.
0: There have to be, I completely yeah. agree. And in conclusion, <laughs> this is such a well done film and it inspires conversations like this one you know I think it's important to have films like this and films like Malcolm X and everything like that and documentaries about these people as well so that people Mm -hmm. can really dig in and do their research and be inspired to keep these things going in different ways you know I would love to see more about Fred, Huey, Bobby, Angela, all the leaders and all the collectives and communities and seeing this story told from this lens makes it a very gripping biopic. I think more gripping than average because they did talk about when they were scripting it that they wanted to kind of put this in an almost like thriller lens right, to make it right. very clear. The that, Lucas Brothers. Yes, the Lucas mm-hmm. Brothers. Oh, yes. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to see them be part of this film is so interesting and wonderful and kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, moving them forward and I think they have great voices. And yeah. you know, like I was saying before, I hope this film Encourages more people to dig in and do more research, and you know this film garnered six Academy Awards uh, award nominations this year, and I think it could have easily picked up a couple more mm-hmm. for Dominique Fishback's performance and this and the very searing score from Craig yes. Harris and Mark Isham that used mm-hmm. the inflated tear by Rashan Roland Kirk for inspiration. that's mm-hmm. honestly probably why it was not eligible because mm-hmm. film scores that use pieces of existing music, they're like, you can't do that. So that's why, you know, legendary. That's going
1: to have to change. It's going to gonna it, have right? to
0: change because there have been legendary scores in the past, such as, you know, there will be blood and black swan that are mm-hmm. ruled ineligible because they are inspired by other pieces of music. But to me, that's a beautiful thing. Right. <laughs> if you can be inspired. If a script
1: can be a, a remake the exactly. adaptation, exactly. the score needs to be able to be an adaptation. I agree. I agree. Yep. Gotta change it up. Yeah. It's
0: time to change. Yeah. And so, if you have not seen Judas and the Black Messiah, this film is now in theaters. Yes. And it is available to rent on Amazon and Apple TV. See it. Seek it out. Yes. This is a wonderful film.
1: All my life, I had to fight.
0: The time has come for this week's You Better Act Award. And if you are unfamiliar, this is an award that I give out every single week on the show. or Mostly every single week on the show. And this is where I celebrate a performance that I just absolutely love, that I think deserves more love, praise, and attention. So I bestow it. I bestow it on my show. So this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please. <laughs> Yaya Abdul-Manteen II in The Trial of the Chicago 7. So The Trial of the Chicago 7 was directed by Aaron Sorkin and was released last year in 2020. And there is some interesting crossover between this film and the events of Judas and the Black Messiah. So the trial of the Chicago 7 tells the true story of the Chicago 7 trials in which a group of anti-Vietnam protesters were charged with conspiracy and crossing state lines with the intent of inciting riots at the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago. The film itself is fine, but Yaya gives an amazing performance as Black Panther Bobby Seal, who was the eighth person originally brought into the trial until his case was separated from the seven others. The scene where Mark Rylance's character comes in to tell Bobby that Fred was assassinated is particularly strong because he doesn't react the way that Mark and the audience watching the film are expecting him to. Also, the scene where he is bound and gagged in court is incredibly upsetting, and Yaya's struggle and vulnerability almost brings you to tears. While some of the actors bring caricature to the table in this film, actually most of them do, honestly, Yaya brings a sense of finesse to the role per usual and stands his ground in a completely powerful way. And like I always say, these black Yale School of Drama actors be acting, and Yaya is a Yale School of Drama actor, so... Watch this film to celebrate him. Like I said, it's I, but it's worth watching for him and Mark Rylance. And The Trial of the Chicago 7 is now streaming on Netflix. So in closing for this week, some food for thought for the audience. What are some other brilliant leaders and movements from the past that you would like to see get a biopic treatment? Comment on our Instagram, at Adventures in Black Cinema. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Give us a rating if you'd like. And follow us on Spotify if that's how you listen to your podcast. I want to thank the team per usual. We have Matt Mozzarella on audio. We have Cindy Edward, our production assistant. We have Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. And thank you so much, Maori, for joining us this week. This has been such a A dope conversation. Thank you so, so much.
1: Thank you, Desmond. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. I got to have you back sometime. Absolutely. And next week, we will be getting into the nitty gritty of Jordan Peele's second film, a more divisive film, a little film called Us. So stay tuned for that. And until then, stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed. Bye, y'all. Oh, it's over. Great.